Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint. I want to welcome you to this next installment of our series entitled Face-to-Face Encounters with Jesus. And uh, uh, the idea behind this whole series is we're talking about a number of episodes that John records for us in the Gospel of John where people did exactly that. They came face-to-face with Jesus. Today, uh, we're going to sit in on a conversation between Jesus and a man named Pontius Pilate. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in your blanks on your outline, if you didn't grab a pen on the way in, just raise your hand. Our ushers will pass one to you so you can take some notes. Uh, the hard thing about uh, doing a story like this with Pontius Pilate or anytime we have Easter is that Easter comes once a year, and some of us have grown up in church, and we feel like, hey, we've heard this story before. Uh, how does this apply to me? Well, by coming at this the way we are today, I think you're going to see a lot of life applications. In each of the lessons we've talked about, there's a lot that applies to you and me, and I really want that to be the case here on uh, the Sunday before Easter as well. So let me have a word of prayer for us, and we're going to jump right in. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. I thank you for John's gospel, and I pray, God, that you will um, allow us, uh, Lord, to see ourselves through the eyes of Pontius Pilate and some of the other people surrounding Jesus, and we'll be able to see Jesus more clearly too. We thank you for the good news of Christ. Lord, and uh, I just pray, Lord, that you will allow us to grow closer to you during our time together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Point one on your outline, one day Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, A.D. 26 to 36, was asked to crucify Jesus. He was governor for 10 years. John, you said that awfully specific, like, like you think you know that date. And I go, I do know that date. In fact, I want you to know something. If we put a slide up here, there's a... Uh, in 1961, there was an artifact found in Caesarea by the sea. Uh, it was the Roman headquarters there. It was found by accident, and it's some Italian archaeologists were digging up an old stadium. And they found that uh, one of the stones from a previous construction had been reused in the stadium. Uh, an old pier apparently had been torn down, and the dedication stone had been flipped over and used somewhere in the stadium. Well, when they pulled this rock out as they were excavating it, lo and behold, there was an inscription on the bottom side of it. It had been protected for all these centuries. And it says that uh, it was a dedication, like a dedication plaque would be on the front of a building to the mayor and the city council, whoever was in power at the time, to Emperor Tiberius. It was dedicated by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. And so if anybody ever tries to tell you the Bible's all made up, it's like, uh, they're wrong. Anyway, we'll go on. And that does factor in because this is true. The story that you're going to hear today is true. And it matters because Jesus is truth. One day, and this was Good Friday, it was early in the morning, Jesus was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor, and his accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them. They'd been up all night uh, concocting a trial that was against Jewish law. They'd put together a kangaroo court, brought in false witnesses, but people were tired of Jesus going around showing them up. There were religious leaders in his day who sought power and prestige and status And Jesus came in and said that, well, to get right with God, you didn't need any of those things. You needed to be humble and serve and ask for forgiveness. And they didn't like that at all. And so they wanted to do away with him, and they decided they would kill him. So, But they couldn't do it because the Romans were in occupation at the time. The Romans gave them a lot of latitude on most matters, but capital punishment, the Romans reserved that for themselves. His accusers didn't go inside a pilot's headquarters because it would defile them, but they wouldn't and then they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. Jesus was, being, um, Jesus was executed at Passover. 
So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and said, what is your charge against the man? So they're banging on the door. We need to see the governor. And so he comes out to them. Well, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if, we weren't, if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Well, then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. And so Pilate knows, wow, they got it in for this guy. They also need to know that Pilate and these guys were not close friends. Pilate was a Roman governor. It was an administrative position, but he had a military uh, company right there with him to enforce Rome's laws. He was there to make sure there was order, there was peace, and that Rome got its money, and the business affairs ran well. Um, Apparently, since he was in power for 10 years, he must have been doing a pretty good job, or else Rome didn't usually have that much patience with people. But if uh, Pilate had one flaw was he didn't, he didn't like these religious fanatics, is what he would have called them, in Jerusalem, and he made them angry. And so for them to come to his house invited another confrontation. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But I wanted to stop the story right here and just make one life application for us. Jesus hates religious hypocrisy. And you go, well, John, this is kind of an odd place to stop him. Well, why would that? Why would you point that there? Well, I don't want you to miss that Jesus was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor and the accusers didn't go in because they wanted to eat the Passover and that would defile them. If you walked into a Gentile's house as a practicing Jew, then that would defile you and you wouldn't be able to have Passover. And that was their biggest meal of the year. It's celebrated when the angel of death passed over the Israelites because a lamb was slain and its blood was put on the door frames of their houses. When the angel saw the blood, the angel passed over. So the judgment was on the wicked Egyptians and not on them. They were spared because the lamb had died in their place. Um, I hope if you've been around church while you start going, wow, that sounds pretty similar to Jesus, the lamb of God being slain in our place. It's the idea. But I wanted to stop and just say and remind us all that Jesus hates religious hypocrisy because these guys were so meticulous about their own rules about not being defiled that they wouldn't even go in Pilate's house. Never mind the fact that they just stayed up all night, brought in false witnesses to accuse Jesus falsely, and now we're bringing him to Pilate so they could falsely murder him. Slander, a mistrial, complete breakdown of the judicial system, lying, and murder were no problem. But don't go across that threshold or else you can't eat Passover. And you go, wow, what a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah. And they hated Jesus because he had called them out on it. Here's what he's told them in Matthew 23. Just one of the things that you could read the whole chapter in Matthew 23, and he blasts them for this. He said, what sorrow awaits you, you teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And again, I want to make applications out of these stories. There's an application for you and me. Jesus hated it in them, and he hates it in us. Well, John, how, how could we have practiced hypocrisy in our day, religious hypocrisy? Oh, by singing praises to God about how great he is, and then walking right out of here, and within two hours or within two days, we're using the same mouth that praised God with our lips, to curse people created in his image. James says that. I can talk about how great God is and then spend the rest of the week talking about how stupid my boss is. And by, all the way, by the way, all the employees of Centerpoint, I wanted you to hear that one. And no, uh, but the idea is, but we can all, we're all guilty of it. 
Religious hypocrisy, oh yeah, I can dress up and go to a worship service and then and say, oh Lord, I want to be devoted to you and then cheat and swindle people in my business or show up late, punch in the time clock as late as I can and steal 15 minutes on the front end and 15 minutes on the back end. You understand. It's hypocrisy and it stinks. If you're going to follow Christ, follow Christ. If you're going to do what God wants, let's do what God wants. And that's all Jesus said. Count the cost if you're going to follow me. But if you're going to follow me, follow me. Let's go. I want to give you new life. I'm not trying to get you into something bad. Well, the religious leaders, like I said, they didn't see it that way. They saw it as their ticket to fame and status and power. And Jesus threatened all of that. So Jesus hated religious hypocrisy and they hated him. Back to the story, John 18, 32. Well, then Pilate went back into his headquarters. So he'd gone out to meet them. He goes, well, then bring him in. So you see Pilate going back in, and his soldiers grab Jesus and bring him in. And Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted. Your own people And their leading priest brought you here to me for trial. I mean, he's still incredulous about it. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. They'd accused him of starting a riot and rebelling against Rome. And that was the cover for their, that was the excuse they were going to give to get rid of Jesus. And Pilate says, well, are you the king of the Jews? Are you trying to start a rebellion here? I mean, what's going on? Jesus goes, no, my kingdom isn't in this world. It's important to note that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. There's a life application for you and me in that. As followers of Christ, we must not love this world. Now remember, the people, the religious leaders, did love this world. They were afraid if they let Jesus go on, everybody would start following him, and they would lose status, they would lose wealth, they would lose power. And that's what this world is about. John, the same guy who recorded this conversation, later wrote this in a letter in 1 John chapter 2 to early Christians. He said, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love this world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions, And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And that's what Jesus came to do. He said, look, don't store up treasures in this world where moths can eat it. It's going to rust and somebody can just come steal it. Store up treasures in heaven. I mean, Jesus wasn't after power in this world. When people had earlier tried to make him king, he'd walked away. He wasn't after being rich and famous. He was after helping people have a right relationship with God. He said, that's what's most important. Love God and love others. And these people couldn't stand it. But the people, the ordinary people, loved it. Jesus didn't hang out with them, and he didn't give them status, and he didn't give them honor. He gave God honor, and he gave a hand to people who were in need. And he went around taking care of prostitutes and drunks and thieves and telling them that when they asked for forgiveness, that their sins were indeed forgiven. And that just made them mad because they'd worked hard to prove they were better than everybody else. Now give me some recognition here. I've been keeping all the rules. I should get more credit. It's only fair. 
I mean, who knows what kind of society it would be if God goes around forgiving people when they sin. The whole place is going to get blown up. And they wanted Jesus out of there. And so you and I have a life application to think about here. Hey, what motivates us? And if I'm really going to heaven one day, then why do I put so much time into worrying what people think about me now? And if everything's going to rust and fall away and it's not gonna, I can't take it to heaven anyway, why do I spend so much time worrying about the things I have and keeping up with the Joneses, whoever the heck they are? Something to think about. Well, the conversation went on. Pilate said, so you're a king. And Jesus responded, well, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth, Pilate asked. I mean, instead of calling this Pontius Pilate, I could have just written truth at the top of this outline because this is what you're going to see. I mean, this whole story is just a marvelous contrast, and John does it in such a wonderful way through these conversations. Here's Jesus, the true son of God who loves God and isn't after status or power or collecting a bunch of things. He just wants people to love each other and love God. And he modeled that perfectly. And against him were religious hypocrites. They were false. He was true. Jesus is king of kings. And he speaks truth. Pilate was just a governor in a political system. And he didn't believe in truth. And there's a note here shows the contrast here. Pilate then became a cynical, indecisive, and morally compromising leader because he didn't believe in truth. I mean, if you don't believe in truth, if you have no truth, well, then you're just going to do whatever works. And this is where we find ourselves in our society. We got rid of biblical standards long ago in many areas, and now we're just down to expediency or whatever's the most efficient or whatever costs the least. And it doesn't matter whether it comes to issues that we deal with in our personal lives or anything else, and people are now making decisions on, well, what's, what's the lowest cost? What's the easiest? And we see this debated on news channels all the time. It doesn't matter what the issue is. And almost never do you find somebody saying, well, the Bible says. It's like, well, we don't want that standard. Because we have a standard. Now we have a compass. Now we have due north. Now we know the right way to go, and we don't want that. We want everything to be relative, because then I can justify to keep on doing what I'm doing if I'm clever enough and find a loophole. And that was Pilate. And you'll see as we go through this trial, even though he finds Jesus innocent, he's, gonna, he's not going to know what to do. He doesn't have a compass. He knows what's right, but he can't do it because he has no standards. And that is so far from what God wants for us. In fact, the life application for you and me would be this, that Jesus came into our world so we can know truth and live victorious lives. And this is often overshadowed and isn't strengthened enough. I want to make sure we say it here. When you know Christ, you can know the truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus said that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. He is the truth. His life was a perfect standard of holiness and love. He never sinned. And everything he said is true. John records a couple of other truth statements. I, just, I could have put five more or ten more in here, I guess, but I just wanted to put a few. Uh, John also recorded in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. Jesus is truth, and he said, I promise you, after I ascend to heaven, I'll send the Holy Spirit. He'll live in your heart, and he'll guide you into all truth. To follow Christ, we can know the truth. We can, know, we can have God's thoughts in our own mind. And God will speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Also, 
John 17, Jesus prayed for us and his disciples. He said, make them holy, Father, by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. God's word is truth. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free to be all God wanted you to be. Free that we can live victorious lives. But without truth, now every decision, I got to go, I don't know. Welcome to Pilate. Just a cynic. He'd seen religious hypocrites. Yeah, they don't amount to anything. He was in a political system that was completely corrupt. You either had to bribe your way or you had to curry favor with somebody. And he knew that. And he goes, what is truth? And so here's Jesus again. The religious hypocrites, he's not one of them. He's truth. Political opportunist, that's Pilate. Willing to compromise, no standards. That's not Jesus. Jesus is truth. And the farther you get into the conversation, the more you understand, well, that's why we follow him. Jesus wants us to be like him. Living lives of truth and faithful obedience. Guided by the Holy Spirit who empowers us to become all that God wants us to be. Well, Pilate was realizing this conversation wasn't going at all where the Jewish leaders thought it might go, and he realized this guy was no threat to Rome. And that brings us to point two. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but he ordered Jesus to be crucified anyway. Now, again, if you're just an opportunist, you weigh the costs. I know that's not right, but this other thing, but if I lost my job or I got in trouble with my bosses, that wouldn't be right either. And since it's me versus him, he loses next Point A, if you flip your outline over, when Pilate offered to release a prisoner for Passover, the people chose a murderer over Jesus. Um, You've got to remember, Pilate was an opportunist, and he knew this wasn't right. He didn't want these Jewish leaders angry at him. They'd had lots of interactions before. They had written letters to Rome. They'd even sent envoys to Rome to report on him, and he couldn't afford to get in trouble again. And so he saw a way out. Pilate went out again to the people and told them, speaking of Jesus, he's not guilty of any crime, but, when you, have, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to re- release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas, which would have shocked Pilate completely. He thought he had an easy way out. It had only been a few days before when Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. The whole city was electrified. People were throwing palm branches on the ground singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And everybody, they were proclaiming him to be their Messiah, some great deliverer spoken of in ancient prophecies. And so even though the priests were against him, the people loved him and Pilate had picked up on all this. And so he thought, well, this will be easy. I can get off the hook here. I always release a prisoner. They always ask me to release a prisoner at Passover. It's Passover. I'm going to see if they want Jesus released. I mean, he's terribly popular. And it was basically a choice between him or a guy named Barabbas who was in jail for insurrection and murder. The Jews hated Romans, the Romans in occupation over them. They resented the soldiers spitting on them, mistreating them, making them carry their stuff, taxing them. They hated that stuff. And so Barabbas had done something about this. He'd murdered somebody and he'd stirred up a lot of trouble. And so Pilate thought, well, this will be a slam dunk. Well, basketball hadn't been invented yet, so uh, it would have been easy, okay? But the idea of this would be, this is no problem. We'll give him a choice. And the people chose Barabbas. 
That's important to note here. Jesus came to take the place of filthy, rotten sinners like Barabbas. I mean, does it seem strange to you that Jesus was crucified at Passover when a lamb that was spotless needed to be slain so the angel of death would pass over and the people could go free? Does it seem strange to you that a man named Barabbas, who really was guilty of stirring up a revolt against Rome and even murdering somebody to prove the point, he really did what Jesus was accused of? Does it seem strange to you that Jesus took his place? That he went free and Jesus got his punishment? Because if it does, you're not appreciating the story for in all its fullness. That's why Jesus came. Paul said so in Romans 5. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And that brings us to the life application for you and me. I need Jesus to take my place. I need Jesus to take my place. Would you say that out loud with me, please? I need Jesus to take my place. One more time. I need Jesus to take my place. He took the place of Barabbas, a filthy, rotten sinner. He took the place on the cross of John Schmidt, another filthy, rotten sinner. You too. Romans 3.23, Paul talks about this. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So this is why it matters that Pilate was a real person who really lived. And not, this isn't just some fable. Jesus is a real person, God in the flesh. And he really died on a cross for my real sins and your real sins. And he really rose again on Easter and proved that he is indeed the Son of God. Don't miss this. He took the place of Barabbas, and he took my place too. Everything's being acted out here. Did Jesus come to set up a sham religion where all it was was dress up nice and pretend to be something you're not? No, that's why he was in sharp contrast with the accusers. Did he come to set up some kind of political system where it was all about power and just making deals? No, that's why he was in contrast to Pilate. Was he a filthy, rotten sinner? No, he's the only one who never sinned. And he took our sins upon himself. That's why he was put in contrast to Barabbas. I mean, does this make sense to everybody here? This is what's being acted out in real time. And John is just, when he's writing this, he goes, oh, oh you got to know this. You, you got to know this. So I'm grateful. I can't wait to meet Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John in heaven and shake their hand and go, thank you. Jesus hates religious hypocrisy. He's not just about making deals. He came to take the place of filthy, rotten sinners like you and me. And he did all that. And one conversation. Amazing. Point B. Well, Pilate couldn't appease Jesus' accusers even when he had Jesus brutally flogged and publicly humiliated. Pilate thought, well, this would be an easy choice. Let's let him go versus Barabbas. But the people chose Barabbas. Well, now what? Well, I know this guy's innocent. These guys are just jealous of him, though. I don't know what I'll do. I'll publicly humiliate him and I'll 
beat them within an inch of his life, and then they'll be happy. That's enough. So then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews! They mocked as they slapped him across the face. And Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly, I find him not guilty. That's the second time he said this publicly. He's not guilty. Well, if he's not guilty, why are you beating him, Pilate? If he's not guilty, why are you mocking him? Because he doesn't believe in truth. He's just getting by and thinks this will be enough. At least then he won't be guilty of murder. Pilate went outside and said, I'm going to bring him out, but understand I find him not guilty. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And when they saw him, Pilate thought they'd go, oh my goodness, that's enough. But when they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. And he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Jesus said, you'd have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. And Pilate had the whole thing completely backwards. Jesus, don't you know who I am? From our perspective, we need to be asking Pilate, don't you know who he is? It's important to note this. Pilate was indeed a Roman governor, a real Roman governor, A.D. 26 to 36. But Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And look, we might rise to a high level of prominence and be awarded for great academic achievements or we might climb the political ladder. We might become the CEO of a company or might be recognized for great things we've done. But no matter who we are, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He didn't get there because his followers weren't strong enough. He wasn't building a kingdom in this world. He got to that position because he chose to be there. And he reminded Pilate, you wouldn't have any power at all unless it was given to you from above. The people who brought me in here are guilty of a greater sin than you, but you got your part. And Pilate could have let him go. He could have, but he didn't. Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself as a king is a rebel against Caesar. And for the first time in their life, these guys were all sounding like, you know, they were part of the pro-Roman party here. And when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Away with him, they yelled, crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked, we have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back, and then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. And it's important to note he did this because Pilate had political baggage and lacked moral courage. He had no compass. His own wife, in another account here, had come to him. She had a horrible nightmare that night, and she came to him and said, I have nothing to do with this man. I had a dream about him. Stay away from him. He knew the guy was innocent. He'd never heard anybody talk like Jesus talked. He killed him anyway. And so here's a man, Pilate, 
who had so much political baggage, Luke records for us that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. I mean, there are the historians, other historians give us accounts of how Pilate had blown it time after time and angered people. He had a big, long resume of complaints against him. And he was really afraid that one more complaint to Rome might mean he loses his job. So here's a guy afraid to do the right thing because he'll lose his job. And right across him is Jesus, who's willing to lose his life in order to save Pilate. Do you not know who I am? Yeah, you're a Roman governor. You'll do the next easiest thing to save your own skin. You know who Jesus is? He's the Lamb of God sent into the world to take away the sins of the whole world. The only one able to die for us, who's willing to die for us and give his life because he is justice and he is courage. There's one more life application for you and me in all this. Looking at Pilate's life here again. Don't miss this. It's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I didn't say that, by the way. That's James 4.17. So don't get mad at me. (laughs) I'm just like you. There's things I know I need to do. I need to apologize uh, later. No, now. Mm. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you and he who guards your soul knows you knew. He knows. Jesus is truth. No pretend. So if I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus, he doesn't want hypocrisy. That was the religious leaders, not Jesus. He doesn't want just, hey, whatever is the easiest way next, whatever the political solution is, whatever is politically correct, that was Pilate. He came for filthy, rotten sinners. That was Barabbas. And he doesn't want you and me to pretend either. So to come to Christ means to say, I'm a sinner. And God, when you show me to do something, I'll follow you. Once you show me it's wrong and I'm certain it's wrong, I'm going to change my ways. Doesn't do any good to say you didn't know. God knows you knew. And we know we knew. I mean, as Christians, that's the good news. We can come to Christ and say, Lord, you know I was a sinner. Yep. And you love me anyway? Yep. I'd die on the cross for you again. I love you, John. Come to me. But Lord, I've blown it. I know. Come to me. Surrender that area of your life. I'll empower you so you can become the person I wanted you to be. Come to me. It's the good news of Christ. By the way, if you want an encouraging thing, an encouraging story where somebody stands up for what's right, Go see the movie God's Not Dead, the whole plot. It's about a young Christian man who stands up for what's right when his professor tells him to deny Christ, to deny his faith. And he says, I won't do it. You want an encouraging movie? It's about that whole last point. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I want to thank you for John's gospel. And I do want to meet him in heaven one day and thank him. Lord, how he, Lord you inspired him to write it. In that one conversation, Jesus, it's clear that Jesus is not about hypocrisy and religious show. It's clear that Jesus is not about making political deals. It's about righteousness and truth. It's clear that he came to save sinners, filthy, rotten sinners, murderers like Barabbas and sinners like me. 
And it's clear, Lord, that he wants me to be honest with him with my whole life. Pilate had his choices, and so do we. Oh, God, I pray that you will keep me far from hypocrisy. I pray, Lord, that I would value the things of heaven more than the things of earth. And, oh, God, I pray that I would not lie to myself and I would not lie to you. If the Lord spoke to you about any of these things this morning, would you just seal that with him right now and say, God, I heard you. I'm glad I came today. I can't believe we were talking about this today, Lord. I needed to hear this. Oh, God, you are truth. Set me free, Lord, to be who you made me to be. Give me the courage to trust you and do what's right, even when it hurts. Thank you for Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In his strong name we pray. Amen. We have a